0: Well, my name is Jason Jimenez, and um, it's a blessing to be with you guys. So let's pray, Father, we thank you for this time. We just pray that you would bless this time that we have with each person, Lord, that they would understand, uh, Lord, what you've called them to do. And Lord, any challenges or conflict that we are faced with right now, trials, suffering, Lord, if there's a child, a grandchild, a friend that we know who has a child who has abandoned the faith or struggling at home, or there's a broken relationship, there's conflict, aggression, God, we just give all these over to you and just pray that you would guide and protect us, Lord, that you may be glorified in what we do today and always, Lord, until you return. And all God's people said, amen. So parenting Gen Z, you guys, what I'm gonna give you right off the bat is, and this is actually important because when you look at Generation Z, it's roughly from 2000 to 2015, okay? So as technology has advanced, as things have progressed in our culture, when you look at the greatest generation, you looked at baby boomers, you're talking about a 30-year average generation, right? Nowadays, it's split in half, okay? That's how fast our generations uh, are not growing up. There's a difference. They're not necessarily growing up. It's just what's happening is they're being split in half because they're, they're inundated with so much information, things are rapidly growing in technology, in the sciences, and academia. Uh, Nowadays we have more families moving than ever before, so they're not stationary, and so we and there's a lot more uh, tragedy things, like think about 9/11 that has occurred, think about the bubble, the economic crash. That's all generation Z, high school shootings, we've never seen this before in our lives. Suicide never in any generation in America like we're seeing today. Okay? So these type of things are affecting generations Uh, a lot more aggressively than ever before. And that does not mean that older generations didn't go through trials, because older generations actually went through more difficult things than the current generation, and were able to be resilient. This generation do not know the concept of what resilience is, because a lot of their parents as I'm gonna show you these four groups, and I'm in this group. My oldest is, is 19, my youngest is 12, I have four kids. And so um, when I'm around parents my age and even older, because one thing about raising Gen Z, you have a mixture of different types of parents all together. So in one soccer game, I could be sitting there and there's a dad filming his son who's, you know, 28 years old, right? And I look over and there's a dad on his phone, not even paying attention, who's like 45 years old. And then I see a guy over there who I think is grandpa visiting his grandson watching game, but I realized, no, that's his kid out there who's six years old. You know, it's, it's very mixed. And he's on his third marriage and he's had kids with three different women. I mean, that's the reality that we're faced with, you guys. So as we're sharing, you guys, it's important that we understand who the parents are that are raising Gen Z, because what we always do, and this is what we do with millennials, and I wrote a book called Abandoned Faith. We fixated so much on millennials that we overlooked who the parents were. And what we found with the parents is they were broken, they were discouraged, they were hurting, they felt lonely. Many of the moms were just waiting to uh, see their last kid off and then they divorced their husband because he was not a strong spiritual leader at home and she couldn't take it anymore. That, that's really a summary of the parents who were raising millennials. And those are primarily the younger baby boomers and the older Gen X, Parents who were raised in the early 60s, okay? With Gen Z now, we're already now into generation alpha. So we're already seven years into a whole new generation. So those first graders that just started school this fall, that's a new generation. Who has a, a first grader? You guys got a new generation now before you already. And that, that's, that's how fast time flies, okay? Now there's a lot of mixture between millennials and Gen Z. And so there'll be a lot of mixture between alphas and Gen Z, okay? But this is important. We have to understand who the parents are because if you really want to understand a generation, we have to understand who the parents are. And we get so fixated on the individual, so fixated on the wants and desires of a kid that we lose sight about the parents. Now, I get it, let me just say this. I understand that a lot of times parents' identity can be in their kids, but that doesn't mean that defines who you are. Does that make sense? Any questions on that so far? You guys with me? All right, so here's the four four groups. The first group here, these are the older Gen X parents. 1964 to 1972. Their peer personality are they are realists, okay? So problem solvers. If you don't have the money to go to college, guess what? This generation says what? Either you work harder and you save money, or you, you're not going to that college because you don't have the money. It's plain simple. That's, that's a realist, okay? But because they're older, and, and did you know that over half this generation are remarried? So that means over half this generation either had a child out of wedlock and was never married, or they're divorced. So immediately, their second families that they've had come from broken homes, and they come from what? Fragmented homes, or half-siblings, right? Or step-parents, okay? And so they're parenting from fatigue. I I cannot tell you guys through the years how many parents I've sat there, and they're like, this. I mean, they're just... There's just no motivation in them whatsoever. They're just done. Guys have shut down. They don't want to argue anymore. Their wife's nagging. They just can't take it anymore. So their worldview, when you assess this parent group, these older Gen X parents who are raising Gen Z, this is not the this is not the biggest uh, parent group. It's going to be the second one that I fall into. I'm 44, and I'll show you that in a minute. But when you assess their worldview, and what that means is, they understand what it is they believe as a Christian, and they can articulate it pretty well. What they believe and why they believe it. They know the Bible. They can give a defense about the existence of God, who God is, what salvation is. They share their faith, you know, from time to time with friends and family. So in essence, it's their perspective of how they perceive the world, their framework is about 40% of them know. So that still means 60% of them raising Gen Z don't have a biblical worldview, okay? Their parenting style is very responsible. When they say they're gonna do something, they're committed to do it, okay? This was this was a big chunk of my last position as a family pastor. I was responsible for college, high school, middle school, and oversaw our children's director, stu- the children's ministry, This was the primary group that we had in Charlotte. And um, a lot of them are givers, they volunteer. They They want our involvement. They were looking to us to help them along the way. And that is still the case. Now the second group here though, from 73 to 83, these are the younger Gen X parents. And this is the last of Gen X before millennials come on scene their pure personality is their idealist. So I know we went from a realist to an idealist. What's an idealist? Yeah, it's very good. So they, they, there's a lot of felt needs there that they have, personal experience. Like an idealist is, I, I, I really want a better life for my child than what I had, okay? And that certainly is me. I came from a broken home. My mom was killed at 15. Um, my dad jumped from job to job. Both my parents had their GEDs. They never even graduated from high school. They are on the brink of divorce. Two older siblings, they got into alcohol, partying and stuff like that, and having sex outside of marriage. There's a Catholic mix with a Protestant mix. And I told myself when I was younger, I'm not, when I have a family, I'm not gonna raise them like this, okay? So they're, they're now the, the danger, if you're not grounded, is then you just cater to that child. So I, I, they need to have the best coach for me to be a, the best parent. I need to put them in the best school to be the best parent. You know what I mean? An idealist can go too far. But notice idealists, they parent from rejection. And that has to, that, what does that speak from, if you will? They're, they're, they're parenting from rejection because of what? Guilt. Because they've been rejected. And this is where discipline becomes a factor with these parents. I can't say no to my kid because that's gonna be perceived as what? Me rejecting them, okay? Now, notice their worldview is what? 30%, so we're dropping here. Their parenting style, they're very dependable though, okay? So like when I, and this is my demographic primarily of parents, uh, we're very dependable, okay? We like social outings. You know, uh, for the most part, when we say we're going to do something with our kids, like we commit to something for our kids out of guilt, not always, not saying you should be doing that thing that you told your kids you sh- that they should be doing or that they're gonna, you're going to allow them to do, but you do it because you can't renege it because you don't want them to feel rejected, okay? So they're very dependable in that sense. They're the kind of family, like, hey, Dana, I need you to do this. And you're just kind of like, oh, okay, so you're bringing the snacks next week. And so you're going to be dependable. You're going to do it and you're gonna go on social media, and you're gonna go talk to your friends, and you're gonna make it happen. That's this generation, okay? Now, let me just say this. Along with that comes dirty laundry from this generation. This demographic right here, I cannot tell you how many, and let me just say this, no offense to women, how many women raising kids in this demographic, the Gen Z, the older Gen Z, um, share too many sensitive things on social media, that one, is an embarrassment for yourself, your husband, and your children. Okay? Any thoughts on that? So that's the second group. Who falls in this group? Who falls into this group, first group? Who's in the second group? Here's the third group. 84 to 92, these are the older millennial parents now. This is scary. They're consumerists. So we go from realists to idealists to what? Consumerists. And guess where they parent from? Discontentment. This group is not content. They complain a lot. This group is very critical. And look where their worldview is. We're going down, you guys. People like Paul and myself, when we stand before God one day, this is one aspect we're gonna be judged in, is our lack of equipping families. This is where we're gonna be judged. All of this, too. We, we play a part in this, unfortunately, but it's, that's the reality. Now, here's the good thing, though. This is the positive side. They're very relatable, though, okay? They're, they're not punks. They're not really difficult people to talk to, okay? But a lot of this group has not, if their worldview is 20%, guess what that tells you? Have they been discipled? Now, in America, we can go back, and I did a study, one of my friends did a dissertation on, on discipleship, and um, we're looking to build a curriculum down the road together, but it was interesting when he was telling me in a recent meeting that you can go back, but within 50 years in America, discipleship has not been, when, it, when we start talking about expository preaching, we're thinking, yeah, that's right. I want to, I want to, I want to, yeah. I want a pastor who beats the pulpit and preaches God's word. And you know what happens though? Ultimately, a lack of discipleship. So we think that if I can get an expository preacher like Adrian Rogers or David Jeremiah or something like that, like I mean, we're going to be grounded. Guess what? The studies show that's not the case. Good, it's good that you got someone who's preaching God's word. But what happens is we think he's doing all the work right? We're getting the word of God from him. And what that actually does is cause us to just sit back and not do anything with it. So here you have this third group where they are raising most of Gen Z, the younger Gen Z, obviously, right? And they're very relatable. They're very relational, but they are more progressive than ever, okay? So you you can get a very good-looking young couple with kids, your Gen Zers in the children's ministry, and uh, they just voted for Hillary Clinton. Let's say, right? Okay, just that's just whatever. That's their prerogative. but they're very progressive, and they're like, hey, so um, Paul, do you do you uh, uh, marry same-sex couples? Like they're all excited about it. like you know are you are you inclusive? Like that's good, right? What, what kind of social justice programs? are Very relatable in that. So that's kind of like, you know, you have to be careful in that because this is the space where most of this generation is living in, these older millennial parents. Now, I don't show this in the stats, but I talk about it in my book that's coming out next year. This group here, guess what? When you look at their worldview as 20%, these older millennials, um, over half, some studies show 67% of them are not married. So did you know that parenting Gen Z right now, that you have over 12 million kids under the age of 18, 12 million in America that are being raised right now by a single parent? So 12 million, if that's under the age of 18, that means what? Primarily, most of that's Gen Z. So We have almost 12 million Gen Zers who are being raised in a single home. And out of that percentage are, do you think of those households or moms raising those kids? 84%. So what we're saying, you guys, is you're talking about a a quarter of Gen Z in America are being raised by just a mom. So that leads to this group. Fourth group now, these younger millennial parents, you know, born from 93, 99, um, they're narcissists. So you go from realists to idealists to consumerists to narcissists who parent from fear. And why are they parenting from fear? You go from fatigue. I'm not saying no parent. The only tired, you know, parents are older, but it's true though, right? You start losing, you know what you lose, right? When you're older, but why are they parenting from fear? Okay, so one aspect, they don't know what they're doing, which is true. How many parents in this generation have had to rush to the school to pull their kids because of a shooting? Right? How many parents in this demographic know know of a child who their their son or daughter had a classmate who committed suicide. You know how many kids in this demographic and this demographic are on some form of medication because of a mental illness? Or their parents are on it? And their worldview is 12%. So you guys, notice this is from 93 to 99. The first group from 64 to 72 at 40% to what? 12%. Now, here's the thing about their parenting style. They're very agreeable, and you think, well, isn't that a good thing to a certain extent, but agreeable in that they agree to terms are always compromising. Okay? So this this demographic of parents, the second group to the third group to the fourth group, are the type of parents who say, here's your device, and account and I'm going to count to 3 for you to listen to me. Right? So you're allowing your kid to be rebellious and they don't come to you so you you're giving them warnings because you don't you have no authority in their life. Okay? And then what typically happens is the parent keeps sternly saying to them if you don't listen when I get to 3, you're not going to get that ice cream. Right? And so the parent is agreeing with the child to come to, to to this 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 what this truths but it's always favorable for the child and what do we reward them with all the time? And what do they want? They want devices. Okay. So that that that's the the four main groups that are raising Gen Z. So it's not looking pretty. That's a fact. You and I were just talking, you know, if you, you, to, to problem solve, you have to problem find. So my thing was, looking at Gen Z, the, ba- the main problem here is the parents are broken. Okay? You have older parents to younger parents, but they're, they lack a biblical worldview. So if, by just looking at the numbers, and you have 12 million of them who are being raised by a single mom, then guys like Jeremy and myself, we should be investing in our work full-time just to meet a fraction of the need. We are outnumbered, okay? And it keeps getting worse. So in my early ministry in the late 90s, I did a lot of chaplaincy stuff in juvenile delinquents because I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, so a lot of gang-infested stuff. and and. I love the chaplains that I worked with, and I would go in there every week, and I would minister to these delinquents, do Bible studies, counseling, you name it, confidential things I've had to appear in court, you know, because of things they divulged. I was in front of murderers, people who killed their parents. I mean just I mean we were, it, was, it was an intense time. Um, I remember encountering some uh, Satan worshipers at this this uh, juvenile delinquent corrections facility. And at a Bible study on a, on a Sunday night, and they were coming to disrupt it. And what I found, though, across the board, no matter the kid or their background, whether they're from the Indian reservation, they're Hispanic or Black, which primarily in the minority groups, they didn't have a dad. They didn't have a dad. Or if they did, he was abusive. Okay? So when I, when I started to look at that, it really started to teach me. That we have to minister to moms and dads. And to your point, Joyce, we have to minister to the grandparents, okay? Because if we're gonna reach these, parent, these kids, we have to reach the parents. So now, you know, like, you know, we always think about the Paul uh, relationships, the Timothy relationships, the Barnabas. Well, let's just think about this as we move into the eight traits of Gen Z. It was actually Barnabas who stood up for who? Paul. Paul. Right, so Barnabas went to the leaders because they already rejected Paul. On his own merit, Paul could not get in. Even though we know the road to Damascus, Pharisee of Pharisees, from the tribe of Benjamin, I mean his credentials, but they didn't trust him. They didn't know him, but they valued and trusted who? Barnabas, Barnabas used his credibility, which means he used his integrity with the leaders of that day, okay? that were making the executive decisions like James, right? The leader of the church of Jerusalem and the apostles. And Barnabas was able to get them in front of Paul again. And they started to receive him as a result of that. Then Paul was really a big brother to Barnabas and taught him the faith, right? Their first missionary journey was together and we see in some documents even outside of the New Testament that they amended this, this division under John Mark and probably were back doing some ministry together. But we clearly know that John Mark was with Paul towards his end. Well, who, were the, who was the last person that we, that we see in scripture that Paul was pouring into before he was beheaded to, to be the elder, to be that pastor, to lead the next generation in the Christian faith? Timothy. Timothy. You know what I'm saying? That's so, so that's a great picture of what we should be doing. So we go through those phases, right? As we get older, we should be going through that. Um, And we just, sadly, when you look at, when you talk to the parents today, they don't. They don't have that. And the sad reality, we were just having a meeting before this, is most of this generation raising Gen Z, they don't go to church at all. They don't. So, and part of Christ's coming to this world is, is what? Giving us the church, okay? So let's do this now. Let's, let me give you guys um, eight characteristics, if you will, eight core traits of Gen Z. The first thing is they're divergent in their identity, okay? <laughs> Think of it like this. What type of social media handles are there out there? How many? What, what kinds are there? Right. I thought Paul was going to say MySpace still. That's good. He said t- TikTok was number two. Good job, Paul. He just did one. He was dancing earlier, Mike. Um, so I want you to think of Gen Z like the social media handles out there. They all have their unique little thing they, they, they do, right? Instagram was mainly about what? A nice-looking picture of your breakfast, which I don't care to see. I should have did my Holiday in one for you guys today. It was delicious. <laughs> Yogurt and a banana. Okay? TikTok's about what, really? A lot of dances, right? Stupid stuff, which America's so obsessed with. And we've got bombs dropping in Ukraine, and we're just dancing around in America. Um, Twitter, obviously, is just canceling everybody on Twitter. Okay? Everything has its thing. Facebook is kind of posting stuff just about your everyday life or, hey, check this thing out. LinkedIn's more business-oriented, okay? That's how Gen Z is. That's how eclectic and diverse they are. They've been immersed in a digital-first society marked by severe shifts in economic, environmental, and political circumstances. So they are very hyper-connected, okay? Highly opinionated generation. It's amazing because you look at Gen Z, they just put out all kinds of content all the time. They have a thought, they put it out there, more so than millennials. By the way, Gen Z is more educated than millennials. Gen Z read a lot more than millennials, okay? So sometimes they can put their opinions out there and doctor it up in such a way as thinking it's very, they're very informed, they're very in touch with reality. But both generations, based on what we saw with the numbers of worldview, the lack of worldview with their parents, lack critical thinking. So they're very hyperconnected, very opinionated. Uh, they move to activism as the internet and social media landscape has made them acutely conscious of and is concerned about world events. So that's where they get they get their information from opinions of people in their generation. Having lived in an era of overall progress when it comes to issues like marriage equality and body positivity, they're forging new territory. In broader conversations about identity, this is the, the cohort of gender fluidity and inclusivity in all of its forms, okay? So I'm going to show you in a minute this divergency. Remember the movie Divergent? Do You guys ever see it? So what, what was the basis of why it was called Divergent? You guys remember? Who can tell the audience? Do you remember? Exactly. Right, the, the, the elders, if you will, the leader, they would have them go, they would come to a certain age and their families and they would all go and they would be tested, if you will. They would fall into five categories, essentially. Now, divergent was someone who, again, hence the term, had all of them. They didn't fit in one little box, if you will. That's so true with Gen Z, okay? That's very true with them. It's not always a good thing. It's not always a bad thing. Number two, there's significant creativity among them. Another defining aspect of Gen Z is they are poised to becoming the most educated generation of digital creators America has ever seen. So it's interesting, Gen X was able to globalize what the previous generation did of baby boomers, right? And then millennials digitized it. And now Gen Z are what? They're creators. They're movers and shakers. Crowdfunding, right? They get things done in their bedroom with the phone. Okay? And they get millions of followers, and they have companies that sponsor their stuff, and they're sitting there dancing in their in their bedroom, making money. Why aren't we doing this? What is going on here? but they're very creative. My, one of my little nephews, he lost his dad, my brother passed away over two years ago to cancer, and his, his Paul, Paul's in high school, and Paul's been telling me for quite some time that he wants to become a YouTube sensation. I mean, it's no longer like, I wanna be a musician, and your parents are like, oh no, anything but that. Now it's like, I wanna be a YouTube sensation, oh no. Why don't you be a musician instead? <laughs> At least we can track that. But you know, like nowadays it's, it's this competition thing. It, and it, it also, it, it fuels them, like everyone's doing it. So they're, they're, they're more driven to be creative, to be the, you know, to try to be someone who can outdo dancing or whatever the case may be. And this compels them to, and I'm not saying what you always see on a YouTube channel from a Gen Zer is actually the authentic self, okay? There could be a portrayal, and that's a creative in a sense, like they're acting. And so they have so many outlets to do that in the game in the gaming world, right? That competitive nature or the creativity. Companies, look at what Hulu, all the streaming things, that's all built on creativity. Like it's it's no longer in a in a linear fashion. There's all kinds of creativity that's being happening that people are consuming. And they always just want more and more. And now notice what we're doing is they're all halting and saying, we can't keep up to, with this. Everyone's creating so much that we can't. Now FX is trying to compete with Hulu, who's trying to compete you know, with uh, Discovery Plus, who's trying to now Disney Plus and Netflix, You know, like they're all competing and they're putting, they're dropping these episodes and people are just, boom, they're done with it, on to the next. You know what I'm saying? And, and now they're like, okay, pause and we gotta, we're gonna be going back now to one episode, but all this creativity is now burning people out. And then what, and then look what happened to COVID. All those shows that you wanted to catch up on that you thought or you didn't even know existed, now you know, right? And we're all like zombies, okay? Like I, we can't even watch shows anymore without some LGBT thing being front and center. And it has nothing to do with the story plot, they just have to put it in there. And you're like, okay, I'm not watching this. Now we have something called VidAngel, but still, it's like, you know, it could filter it out. But you, yeah, it's, it's just a too, too, too dark of a thing. You know what I mean? Like, why are, why are we, what does that say about our culture, though? Now, family movies still do the best. But we are definitely in a place now where you also have, you have cancel culture and you have bully tactics. We will feed you the ideology that we want your kids to see and to hear. Right? And if you don't let them, it's because you're narrow minded and you're a bigot. So Disney doesn't get the idea when Buzz, that, you know, what was it called? Was it just Buzz Lightyear? Did you like that, Mike? Did you like the? I just read about that. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say, oh, I loved it. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. But because of that same sex scene with kissing, like just throw it in there. It's like subtle, but it's in there. Parents were like, no, like we did, where I'm like, we're not are not going to see that, you know, and um, it tanks in the box office, but they don't talk about that. They're like, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Like, no, you, your business model, you're being an idiot. You know what I'm saying? So they, w- they, would, they, would, they, would, they would lose jobs over this instead of just saying, you're right, let's take it out because their own people within the Disney corporation are boycotting their very employer right? That's the difference between your generation and the current status. That's not a good business model. That will ultimately tank, right? And is affecting people's jobs. It's affecting the economy. If you multiply that over and over again. So people are, the numbers show people don't want dark movies. But what do they keep doing? Companies still primarily are built around a product. But the new LLCs that are coming out from Younger millennials and older Gen Zers is not product; they are the product. So it's built around personality. So, and again, everything has what a time expiration date on it. And so, right now, everyone's having fun, and everybody is making money, and you know, with the ad, you know, monetization on their their stuff. I know several friends that one gal that my wife was discipling not too long ago and she started to get a big following on Instagram and she's like a model type person she's doing on the side just on her Instagram thing. And so somebody was following her and a clothing line company and said, we think you're perfect shape, size, whatever, with some of our stuff and they sent her some free clothes and said, you know, do what you want and we'll we'll start promoting your content and we'll start sponsoring you. And now she makes a few thousand a month as a part-time model or this clothing line that saw her on Instagram. Like, okay, that's legit to some extent, right? But the creativity's good, but the creativity is not as deep as it once was, meaning this type of creativity lacks innovation. Okay, so these Gen Z are not necessarily innovators, okay? They can create a a movie. They can create a YouTube channel. They can be cessation. They can land up on some NBC, you know, The Voice or something like that. You know what I mean? And and get up there and start having some of their original content for the, for the next few months, you know, being downloaded on Apple Music. Good, right? That's creative. They have a lot more opportunity in platforms. Remember the day when you'd have to, you know, record your music and send it to, you know, Capitol Records and hope somebody responded to you and that was like your only, and you're, you know what I mean? It's just going to a little Gigs like the Beatles did in the pubs, is any chance they can get? Nowadays, like sign up for The Voice and you know what I mean? See what happens. They're already, a lot of them are just thinking that's how fast this should just happen, right? And again, it goes back to a lack of resilience. Living Facts says having higher high school graduation rates and lower dropout rates than those who came before them and they are more likely to be in college. So, so they're getting better educated than millennials and, and what we are seeing right now with the trend, so far, with the first generation of Gen Z have graduated last year A lot of them are graduating last year from college now, so they're going into the marketplace for full-time jobs. By the way, this when you, when you go to a local store, Starbucks, a Target, are you satisfied with the customer service that you get ten, that you tend to get, even in your guys's community here? What would you say it is? Again, those are younger, older millennials, including older Gen Zers that are doing these part-time jobs. And they're saying, I don't want to work anymore because now the government's giving me a check of five, dollars $600 a month, so heck with that. At least what we're seeing, some stability, and this this is some of the correction that we're seeing from parents parenting millennials, is... If, if I raise my kids, and this is not saying that they're religious, but if, they, if mom and dad say, the average American family says, if we stay together and we have regular meal times with our kids and we focus on them graduating from high school, they will by far have a better path to success in life if we do those three primary things. Okay, right? So that's, that's a big part of this. So some of these parents, again, who are relatable and agreeable, um, they're very invested in their local schools to make sure that Bobby gets what he wants, right? Because Bobby's having a hard time in school, so we gotta make Bobby's school more fun. All right, enough on that. Number three, religious uncertainty. Gen Zers have a hard time subscribing to any particular religion or set of religious beliefs. They don't like labels. And they certainly prefer avoiding any exclusive dogma that challenges moral relativism. What's moral relativism? So moral relativism is in a nutshell, obviously, it's self, you know, self-defying, meaning that it defeats itself in its very statement. It rejects, it has to affirm what it rejects. So they're saying the moral good here is for you not to be so religious. But that's a dogmatic statement. They're denying dogma, but they're being very dogmatic and denying dogma. Gen Z sees themselves at the center of their own creative truth. That is to say, Gen Z is consumed with their own personal experiences, accomplishments, wants, and desires. Most of the hit songs right now are what? Maybe notice, I was, I was actually doing a test the other day. Love songs are the number one, right? Give me a love song that you love. What's a love song that, that you like? I don't care what genre or what time period. You guys too embarrassed to talk about your love song? What about love song, by Tesla? <laughs> yeah. Jordan? Jordan, what's a love? Uh, where's Jordan? He laughed. What's a love song? You're so beautiful to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that dance, yeah, that's good. Anything else? Jeremy, do you got one? <laughs> There's so many good ones. There's so many good ones. <laughs> So everything is is predicated on the raw emotions of the individual. So love songs are huge, but now what's starting to happen, even it's 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 bled into worship music, is about self making me feel good. Right. So it's like this love affair with myself. You know, I determine my own happiness. So marriage and stuff is 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 about people who are gonna feed that into my my selfishness, right? So that remember I told you parents, a younger Millennials raising Gen Z, they're narcissists. Okay. They're very fixated on self. And, and um, that's going to have some major damaging consequences. A lot of those parents in those four groups are the ones who are putting out there on TikTok and Instagram about letting my kid at four, five, six years old determine their own gender. And that's, that's this parenting groups right now raising this. You know, again, they're not, they're not biblically literate. So to them, they're being all inclusive, and that's that's the great virtue of that culture today. So now, this leads into sexual fluidity. Almost 70% of teens right now, you, you, if you go, I don't care if I'm here, I go to Detroit, I go back to Charlotte, I'm gonna be in California next weekend, and then I'll be in Seattle. I don't care what city I go into, you're gonna find the average high schooler is gonna say, hey, Whatever floats your boat. And I love you for it. Some of it's kind of cool because they're being what? Supportive, accepting. Okay? Now, I don't immediately. see, this is what we do. This is what we tend to do, especially if we have a religious background. We immediately get offended by that and see the danger of that. And what do we do? We go into attack mode. You should know better. That's wrong. You're, God didn't make you that way. Yeah, you're not speaking any language that makes sense to them. And that kind of tone, you want to be discipled by that type of person? Go back to that. So as these, these little teenage girls are like trying to build that burrito and this guy last night, he's like putting everything on that thing. That burrito just kept getting bigger. I was like, by the time the guy gets his burrito, I might have no food for me. So I'm like, I'm out. But the, the manager guy, was standing there, no help. And he just kind of like, like frustrated with these little girls, right? I was going to say something, but I resisted. And, and uh, but I just, when I see a lack of leadership or I see like this, this disdain or this lack of joy or patience, or you could just see the stress that was happening there. It was horrible. Like, would you want that guy to be your leader, to help you grow in your faith? who's ornery or looks depressed. There's no joy in him. He's impatient with you. You know what I mean? You guys, the reality is a lot of us are like that. We come off that way. Bitter, argumentative, we're defensive. You know, if somebody doesn't believe what we believe, I mean, how many guys have an LGBT friend? You know what I'm saying? Like that, you invite them over and you hang out with them and, and you know what their, what their life is wrong. It's wrong, but you love them nonetheless. Did Jesus just talk to Zacchaeus and not go to his house? Did Jesus just tell lepers to be healed or did he touch the leper and say you're healed? Mess that's a reality. Jesus didn't care what the public thought. Some, too many of us care too much to where we don't want to be seen with a Syri- Sy- Syro-Phoenician woman. We don't want to be seen with a Samaritan. We, want to be, we don't want to be taking our friends out of the way and go into Samaria to go reach one person who eventually reaches a whole community. And before Jesus touched her life, she was going in the heat of the day to get water because she was ashamed of her life and nobody cared about her. So now she's going back and saying, I've met the Messiah. And they thought she was crazy and they needed to go find out for themselves. And then they validated what she said. You know, if Jesus didn't do that, do you think that that community would have been reached? And look at us. If people don't fall in line with us, and if—and if, yes, we are to defend traditional marriage. I, before I even came out here, I have some of our colleague friends, two of our senators, Burr and Tillis, and I know Tillis, he was our speaker of North Carolina, they're siding with the Marriage Equality Act, which will repeal the Defense of Marriage Act. Now, the biggest thing they're saying along the lines of the people like Mitt Romney, who's a joke, by the way, um, always has and always will be, but um, he, he says, well, our real main concern here is religious freedom. I'm like, no, 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 no. You of all people as a Mormon know the real concern here is who defines marriage. Don't make it sound like you're that great Republican, right, who's fighting for religious freedom. When you compromise with what God says, right, and you're a government official who starts thinking that you have the power to will the votes of the people and determine what you repeal, this is where we're at. And what they're doing is they're caving into this, you guys, because who's the big vote? Who are the big voting block now? Not baby boomers anymore. It's millennials. Gen X, my generation has been the lamest. We're the smallest generation, and a lot of us didn't go to the box office. We, we didn't go. We don't show up a lot. Okay. Millennials and now Gen Z in 2024. And guess what? One in every eight Gen Zers believe gender is other than heterosexual one in six Gen Z adults identify as LGBT. 70% of them say, hey, look, so they want to see a repeal of, of the, they don't, they're livid over Roe v. Wade being overturned. Right? And they know that. And so do you think that Tillis and Burr, when they've been seeing the signs of North Carolina becoming more liberal, right, through the years, they know where the voting block is. They know it ultimately it comes down to the big cities. Seventy percent of Charlotte's liberal. We have only one. We have one moderate and one conservative, and the rest of them are progressive. And so, that's their talking points. So this is what they do, and so they start compromising because of the sexual fluidity that we're seeing with this up-and-coming generation. Ethnic diversity. Most Gen Z sees their ethnicity or race as central to their identity. This will speak into, I'll talk a little bit next about wokeness, about it's known as intersectionality. You factor in different interconnected elements or characteristics of self, one of them being like your race. Well, I believe in one human race, but they say black race, brown race, you know, your ethnicity, and then your gender, yada, 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 right? This explains why Gen Z is very passionate about their generation's progress and bringing diversity to the American landscape. Couldn't agree more, but how they execute that, I disagree with. To be diverse, you take an E. For BLM, right? To be diverse, you become an anti-racist. You be diverse, you renounce your whiteness, right? You're inherently a racist if you're white. How many white people in this room? Okay, you're all racist. That's that's what this ethnic diversity is bringing. Okay, did you guys know, in the next 25 years, guess who becomes the minority now in America? Not just conservatives, white people. So Gen Z is ushering in, and their generation, when they're going to be my age and some of your guys' age. By that time... Um, Asians, Hispanics, and Blacks will be the the and I'm hey, obviously coming for I come for I'm like, good riddance, it's about time, right? You guys start cutting my grass now, but, um, so that's a that's a good thing to some extent, but the reality is, they're using the oppressive model of equity to steal, right from what. People have built currently, and there's a difference between equal outcome or equal opportunity. The difference between equal rights and equity. I'll be talking about that in the next talk. Now, here's the progressive mentality. Although there's a surge of conservative Gen Zers, and you know, there's a little tick here. I'm, I'm you know, I'm excited. Conservative, not in politics. I'm saying conservative and not having sex outside of marriage. They're not doing a lot of drugs, okay? Like a lot of you baby boomers did. Amen. <laughs> Don't aim in that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, you know, like that's a good thing. They're, they're conservative in that. But they're driven to the ballot box because of what? Abortion, LGBT rights. That's all they care about, and green energy. And you know what? Here's the reality. If you're a female, I'm going to vote for you. Is that a good or bad thing? Depends. But it's the whole thing go back to Obama. When they said you didn't vote for him because he's black, you're a racist. But if if you voted for him just because he's black, you're not a racist? Whatever happened to the better qualified individual, right? So they don't look at that. They'll say, hey, no borders. We want to be a borderless country. That's a generation that has never gone to war. can say that. It's a generation who's never uh, been in, you know, uh, their house has never been broken into. That's that's a general, I grew up on the board. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Okay, so I know what it looks like to have people bringing in millions of pounds of drugs in your backyard, Okay, bringing violence, stealing your cars. He, he can't pay. He's he's got headphones on. Okay, some, some of the stuff gets a little, you know, that you know, a lot of the human trafficking that's taking place, and for them they just think they're one big happy family, and no borders. They have no no idea the concept of security. And yet these are the same kids who have a lock on their phone because they don't want you to get you know get access to their uh, private information. Right. <laughs> there's this one video I saw. She's it was from my my buddies over at Babylon B. You guys know Babylon B? Have you guys oh, seen yeah. them? Yeah. So there's a new video that they put out um this couple, this white gal and this black guy, they they are married young couple from LA moved to Texas. And and their neighbor you know, guy in his fifties, cowboy guy. Karen, you know, he's got his, you know, open carry. He comes, takes his hat off to say howdy, and they're all freaking out. They start filming. We're gonna call the police. You know, who who's who's this guy around? Know? And then they realize he has a gun, and they're like, oh, we're gonna call the police. They're all freaking out. He's like, I'm not gonna shoot. It's fine. He's like, he's like, that's what we do out here. We we all carry guns. And she's like, well, where I come from, people with guns kill other people. He's like, there there's no violence in in these neighborhoods. She's like, well, how can that be? He's like, because we all carry guns. <laughs> So, the in uh, the ballot box isn't the only avenue for Gen Z to advance their progressivism. They engage and support brands and media organizations that affect change in the in these political issues. Here's what is amazing: going back to the creativity of Gen Z, it's amazing what um, the shooting in Florida, for example. I talk about this in the book. You you know how that got to the point where gun reform. And politicians were coming, and they're giving those speeches in the Coliseums, and they were apologizing to kids and their parents, which in many ways, like, good. I mean, that was an atrocity when when you see the whole breakdown here. Um, It was because they all went to social media, the kids. They all went to Twitter, these 14-, 15-year-olds, and they expressed their outrage. And it it became an international sensation. The bald one? Shaved head uh, after the shooting, I, I, don't know if that I don't know who you're talking about. The autistic one. You guys know who that is? She went to the, she went to the United uh? Nations. Uh-huh. Oh, you're talking about Greta. Oh, you're talking about the one from Norway or whatever. Oh, let's watch a video from her right now. No, <laughs> but that's a prime example of what they're capable of doing in their activism, which in many ways is impressive. But again, with this progressive mentality, the end result of that is not good, okay? Language sensitivity, several years back, undergraduates at Columbia College submitted an essay in the universities, and this is one of, guys, I was doing a lot of research with some of my editors a while back when we are putting this together. Unbelievable how syllabus has changed, because of language sensitivity. What happens now, and the more liberal the school, the more common, the more woke, the more common, they submit their syllabus and the students review it before it becomes the final syllabus. They also now have enacted where they warn students that they're gonna get into certain microaggressions or sensitive language, and they, they can opt out to attend that day or they can skip it altogether. So they get to pick and choose. So think about how that looks like in liberal arts now, in literature. So they submit an essay in the university's newspaper citing how certain subjects presented in the class were oppressive and contained triggering and offensive material that marginalizes students Student identities in the classroom. Offended language that the professor was bringing up in literature in the class. The students demanded that the faculty act by providing them trigger warnings before proceeding to teach on aspects of history that might alarm them or cause them to feel uncomfortable using microaggressions. What's a microaggression? This is a microaggression according to woke kids. Hey, what what uh what country are you from? That's a microaggression. Do you speak Japanese? Microaggression. I like your hair, saying it to an Afro-American, microaggression. Do you like spicy food? Microaggression. Okay. But at the same time, you're white, you're a racist. Not a microaggression. <laughs> So now let me close with this, three parenting flaws that we see within these four groups given these characteristics of Gen Z. The first one is the controlling parent. Given what we've talked about, brokenness in family, parenting from fear, parenting from fatigue, what we commonly seen in my parenting ministry that I've seen alongside with a focus on the family is these three flaws that we've been investigating. Now, listen, these three I'm going to give you, primarily, there may, it may speak to you one area particularly. We all do all three at some point, but there's always going to be one that's going to, going to kind of be our default in the flesh, okay? So perhaps some of you guys in this room or maybe your spouse uh, is a controlling parent. And this is someone who has a who's, who, who, uh, failure to prepare uh, their children in life, okay? By letting them be, a failure to learn how to fail because they always dictate everything. You're very oppressive, you're very legalistic, you're wired to always interfere, to speak over and to speak for your child, and you create a lot of conflict along the way with your spouse, with your kids, and your friends. These are the kind of parents who are always getting on other parents as well for doing things that are wrong, but never identify their own failures. So a lot of controlling parents are vindictive, right? Very prideful. You can't correct them. And a lot of these parents, if you're not Jeremy or Paul, you guys are not doing what they want you to be doing, right? Because they're so controlling, they're going to be a you know they're they're a pain in the neck to work with, right? And and, and you're trying to appease them. Uh, good luck. Right Now, controlling parents are very insecure and are coming from a, a, a stage of rejection, typically, right? So they're overcompensating for, again, their lack of preparing their kids, and they can't admit that, or they, they're not realizing that because they're so fixated in other things, um, or they're too busy blaming other people, their parents, the way that they are raised, or how they were not raised just depends on the it depends on the individual but i will I will guarantee this if you are a controlling parent or your spouses or you know somebody who is I guarantee that that person is a very insecure individual, and there probably is a traumatic incident or incidences in their life that has caused them to be that way and so they're they don't know how to get out of it i'll I'll give you some help in a minute, yeah. 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 I mean, so remember that, so they're, so a controlling parent, um, and I've had a, you know, I've had my fair share obviously in the ministry with controlling parents um, and it, and you, you, let me ask you this. Do you guys think, before I respond, is it mainly men or women that are controlling parents that you see most of the time? 50-50, you say women? It's mainly women. Most of the time, when you see this type of dynamic being played out, it's usually the women, and the reason for that too. Then that would say, what about their husband? Yes. He's a he's very passive. Yeah, he, he, he's not going there with her, and they look to me like. Please help. I'm like, you married her. <laughs> she told me to marry her. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <was> <laughs> The second one is a paranoid parent. And this is a failure to release. So this is the parent where, I mean, they won't even let their kid on their bike go down the street on their own, right? They're obsessive. They're always thinking the worst. These are the bubble wrap kids, you know, because of the paranoid parent. There's always something bad's going to happen. So what they do is when they explain things to their kids, it's always in... I'm doing this because I don't want you to be hurt. I'm doing this to protect you. I'm doing this because it's a bad world out there. I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this to protect you, protect you, protect you, protect you, kind of thing, right? And they bubble wrap, bubble wrap, bubble wrap. You guys like the Christmas story? So that's always one of the movies, we watch that with the Grinch, you know, in Hallmark. Um, We love making fun of Hallmark movies. It's like our tradition in our family. And so my, my son, who's in college in California, he's now, they're already watching Hallmark movies with his roommates who are in their <laughs> 20s. And I'm like, that's discipleship, amen? And uh, so the, when you think of the Christmas story, uh, there's, there's that scene when you have Ralphie and Randy, and Randy's a younger brother. And the mom reminds me of my mom. She had curly hair, tall white gal. And this is also in the Midwest. And my mom came from Illinois. And so, she, you know, Randy, Randy's out the door, right? Randy's like sixth grade, you know, or Ralphie is. And Randy is probably like third grade. You know, he's a few years younger than than his older brother. But the mom is like, just she just keeps loading Randy with what? With more jackets and stuff. And she's scarfing him. And he's like, I can't put my arms down. You know what I mean? Because he's like, just so bubble wrap. And that's a great picture of paranoid parents. They're just constantly doing things to protect their kids from harm. They- so, and the control parent can't let their kids fail because that's a failure on their end. The paranoid parent won't even go there. They protect everything. And now they let them go play and everything's all wrapped and cushioned, you know, and that kind of thing. These are the kind of parents who complain in the parks because they don't want their kid to slide down a, a metal s- a slide. So it's now, what is it? It's plastic, right? That's, that's what's happened is we've changed all that, okay? If you, if I tell one of the paranoid parents, um, like the other night, I, I, you know, we have, we, I bought my wife a Palisade, you know, we're finally out of the, the van business. And so I said, honey, I'll get you an SUV one day. So she has her SUV, right? And well, we were at a dinner the other night and their daughter had to go to swim. And we're like, well, Amy can just, Amy can take her. And, and like, no, no, we, we'll, we'll take her. And we're like, no, it's fine. So, I gave my 17 year old the keys to the Palisade, and they're looking at us like, You let her drive the Palisade? I mean, they're, you know what I mean? Because the, the mom on our friends, she's paranoid. She's like, I would never do that. What if this? What if that? Aren't you afraid of this? I'm like, If I lived like that, I wouldn't even be at your house right now. Because you're not that good of a cook, and I'm afraid, I'd be afraid I'm gonna die. Yeah. But it's like, you know, there are some people, then, so they're looking at us thinking like, we're, 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 something's wrong with us. What I'm looking at thinking, I trust her, right? But... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's not faith, it's fear, right? And what Jesus told us, fear not. Because God said in the Old Testament, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, over and over. Why? Because we always have a tendency... Okay, now it doesn't help when you got the school shootings. It doesn't help when human trafficking is up, especially like look in Charlotte's top ten city in the country. So do you think that when when my daughter goes to Concord Mills with her friends and they're all little pretty girls, that like, you think like I haven't taught her how to be you know, you know self defense when I one of my other buddies like who raised two other girls a lot older than I did I did, and he's like yeah I didn't want to do that because I didn't want them to like. Uh, you know, then be all paranoid about you know that. But what if something were to happen? You know, like, so there's a balance, like it's like just because you're teaching self-defense and be aware of these things, so like I tell my daughter, don't, don't be that girl who's going to her car like this from Target at night and not paying attention to your surroundings. That's but a paranoid parent is like you're never going to Target, right? Alone. And so when they get older now and they drop them off at college, you think that kid knows how to turn the light off? No, it's, not, it's unhealthy. And, that, and what happens is they, they're controlled by fear, so they're crippled by fear and they avoid conflict, okay? Because they're always trying to problem solve and these are the agitated, anxious parents at night, okay? Because everything's out to get their kids, right? and they avoid the conflict by trying to fix everything. The last one is the detached parent. And this is someone who is, is their failure to provide. So they, they don't provide emotionally because they're detached. Whatever's happened in their life, for whatever reason, depends on the person, right? But there's common traits, and I talk about this in my book. Um, there are common traits, obviously with each one of these categories, but one thing you find with these parents is they're, they are very oblivious to how their kids feel and why they feel that way. Now, are some of them narcissistic? Uh eh, somewhat. Are a lot of them selfish? Yes, but the main thing we find with detached parents is they're indifferent. That's actually scary. They struggle loving their spouse if they're married and they struggle providing for their family because they have a hard time Sacrificing that, they're just—they live in their space, and then a lot of times they just want to be left alone. And you figure it out. Yeah. One mostly men. Yeah, this is men. <laughs> no, it's women. <laughs> so they're geared to ignore things. They overlook things. They're dismissive. They can literally walk through a room and ignore their kids. Their kids could be fighting. Their kids could be listening to loud music. They could be gaming for three hours straight, whatever. They could be sitting there doing homework. They could be having a boyfriend over, sit on the like, they're just not engaging. They're detached. And they disregard the conflict. Anytime you try to confront them with stuff, it's just like you just, it just, it drives them further away from you. Does that make sense? It's very, it's very sad. So in closing, real quickly, Let's look, at, let's look at controlling parents. Failure to prepare, oppressive wire to interfere creates conflict. How can we help parents who are controlling? What do you guys think? What, what's some biblical advice to help a controlling parent learn how to let go and let God? In all of these things, a big part of it is we have to model and we have to take the initiative, right, to minister to this, per, to, to this type of, 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 of a parent who has a, a controlling problem. So one of the things that we want to teach this parent, and if you're in this category, is quite literally, is you need to study humility in scripture. You have to really take an exploratory measure of what humility is in the Bible. And with that, you have to look around and say, who is humble around me that I see they trust the Lord and I need to learn from them and I need to humble myself. And you need to pray and say, God, work in my heart because I do have, I do have a controlling problem. My spouse, my kids, that, those are, you notice how I keep saying those together because those are inevitable. You, you can't have a controlling parent that's so controlling over their kids and not with their spouse, okay? Now, a lot of times these kind of people are very meticulous in their way of living as well. So they could be very what? Hyper compulsive about things. Okay, and so you, you have to start learning. If you need treatment and some meds, go that route, but that's not the first and foremost priority. The first and foremost priority is you have a spirit of pride, okay, and only God can do a work in that person's life, and then you have to study humility and be around somebody who's humble, and then the thirdly is get that professional help. The paranoid parent, this, um, this is where you need to study faith now. You need to look at scripture and you need to study what faith is. And a great pointing, a place that points you towards is 2 Peter chapter one, how to grow in your faith. Because you, you're clearly not, okay? Then, I and this is across the board, but you need to study Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four, and that model of what we see with parents. And the Bible says, fathers, you're not to provoke provoke your children to wrath, but to train them up in the the training of the Lord. So we have to be intentional by letting our kids fail, to teach them how to be resilient. Now, this is a great book, by the way, that's coming out. A dear friend of mine, we're gonna be doing a parenting conference at the end of next month. She's, her name is Dr. Kathy Cook. That's actually K-O-C-H. And she runs a big ministry called Celebrate Kids and she's a clinical psychologist. Never married, doesn't have any kids. She's in her early 60s now. Um, We love Kathy, she's one of our faculty members at Summit Ministries with us. And she is coming out with a new book called Resilient Kid. And it really sparked when she saw what kids are going through during COVID. And mixed with a lot of the stuff that I'm telling you guys, and we've talked a lot, that's gonna be a great resource to teach parents how to raise resilient kids. Let them fail, mm-hmm. right? Let them learn from their mistakes. I, what I've done in my parenting with my wife now, like the other day, Tyler, my oldest, who's 19, goes to Peru, that was his executive decision. He needed to have that under his belt. He's not in Peru because I'm like, son, you need to go and that sort of thing. I said, you need to make the decision because I want you to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the cool thing was he had a dad who, what? I said, we're both in this dilemma together. We want you to go to Peru because of God's calling your life. We wanna see you, right? But ultimately, I wanna see you do God's work. So I support you either way, right? So that, a paranoid parent does what? He ain't going. They're never going. So that kid, sadly, never gets to see the world. They never get to see miracles. They never get to see God working. They just see parents who don't share their faith, who sees all the evil in the world and all the bad things that can happen, and they're just always, and then you know, you get a little mole, like, what is that? Is that cancer? You're like, no, it's not cancer. I'm sort of before I know it, and they're surgically removing my arm because, you know, like that's how paranoid some of these parents can get. So this these type of parents, they need to study faith. They need to learn what faith is, and, and yes, they need to see professional counseling. They need professional help. Now, and let me say this. So I, I see what you're saying. At the same time, we look at people who are, and if someone is depressed, that does not mean that they don't have faith. If somebody has a mental illness, does not mean they need to just pray harder. I talk about that in challenging conversations, does not mean that they just need to go to church more and pray harder and that, that illness is going to go away. Okay, I think that's a very dogmatic and hard view to hold against people who are suffering. Okay, A lot of people that are suffering in those things, they can't help it. Now, people who are anxious, there are some people who have had panic attacks for a number of reasons, but there's a lot of stressors that they were overlooking for quite some time. And I think a lot of that could have been avoided. but We don't talk about it. We just accept people to say I'm busy all the time. I'm just busy. I'm just busy. Busy all the time. And you're like, yeah, I'm busy too. No, I'm busier than you. No, I'm more busy than you. It's like this competition thing all the time. And we think if we get a sleep number bed, we're going to sleep better at night, or just or just take a pill. You know, I mean, look how many people have to take something to, to sleep. And it's just, it's just it's just it's just it's just problem after problem that compounds. And eventually, there's just, it's just like that, that buzzy noise in your heart to your mind that keeps you awake at night and you, and you don't know why it's there. It's like my rental car right now. It's got this rattling going on in there. I'm like, where's that coming from? So I took the door off. No, <laughs> felt like it. But it's like, it's just there and I know something's loose, right? And that's how a lot of people, is like they're, they know something's messed up in their life and this anxiety they feel and it's just always there and you can hear it and it just bothers them. So that's why I say they need professional, every category, if it's severe, they need professional help, and there's nothing wrong with that. Look, if something goes beyond my ability to fix a car, I take it into a specialist. If you find me ripping the engine out, it's over. We might as well just get a new car, especially these cars nowadays, right? You you know, the diagnostic checks, like, you know, I can't even, and that's what we have to do with these problems with these people. That, that 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 are having a lot of these issues. The detached parent, bottom line, this is, I would say in many ways, is probably going to be the worst because most of the time, what you find with a detached parent who have a love issue, who are indifferent, they were not raised by parents who showed them a loving home. They probably have a really broken, messed up relationship and they are struggling to even want to spend time with their kids. And so you say, well, if, if let's say that's you or, or your spouse or something, you say, well, what does this person do? The first thing you need to do is talk to someone like me in your life, someone like Pastor Paul in your life, and I pray that, that the support of that church can get you professional help because there could be molestation there, there could be abuse there, there could be a, uh, things that you saw that have demoralized you, that you've buried. And as a result of that, you have inter, interpersonal conflict with yourself and with people around you. And yeah, praise God, you came to Jesus when you're, let's say you are 17, but you've never given that that part of your life over to the Lord. And, um, and, and de- detached parents, ultimately what happens is their spouse can't deal with it for far too long. When they get older, their kids are pretty messed up. The kids have left the faith and they get divorced. All right? So I know we'll go into a break, but if you guys have any questions.